0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, make us free to pray with all thanksgiving. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but bless me, the one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. Um. So... We're continuing with uh, Dorotheos of Gaza. Um, this chapter is shorter, and there might have been a little bit of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, clickbait um, in the WhatsApp group here in, in Vancouver about what this chapter is about, but it's, it is. But even though this chapter is shorter, I actually think it's very a very compelling one, and it touches on a topic that I know I have very strong um, opinions about, um, so I will try and contain my strong feelings about those things and not make the whole talk about that. Um, But the beginning of this chapter um, already made me laugh because you know those Christian one-liners that sometimes annoy everyone else, um, where people start with things like, or forget even Christian ones, where people say things like, um, with all due respect and you know that whatever follows is not going to be with all due respect um, or um, monastically it'll be like halilni absolve me forgive me um, which is what this chapter starts with but or bismillah salib but you don't know that the person who's saying it really means it um, and so Dorothea starts the chapter saying, you should start conversations with forgive me. (laughs) Um, And it made me think of people who who do that that I used to be annoyed at for doing that because I was 100% judging um, as not meaning it when they say it. Um, So what's cool about this chapter is him trying to explain uh, what it should mean or look like uh, when you say it. And so this is a follow up from last week's chapter of saying renouncing yourself, which was another way for Dorotheus to say, don't make you the center, right? That your starting point is forget you um, and start with um, others, start with gospel, start with other people, start with anything, but don't start with you. Um, And so he's expanding on this concept um, here. And he starts off by saying that if you want to make it anywhere you need humility of wisdom humility of wisdom which he's gonna get into what he means and he says that if we actually have this spirit we'll start every conversation with forgive me um i guess the challenge will be if at the end you can figure out why we would um because he says humility is what shuts up the adversary um and right when i read that because i'm a son of antony Um, I thought, well, St. Anthony said that first um, when he said, um, I saw all the snares of the enemy and I thought, um, what can deliver me from this? Um, And the answer was humility. In one version, he hears a voice from heaven in another version, he hears the devil. But in all cases, the answer is is humility. Um, So what does this mean? Okay. And again, forgive me if it's so boring. I'm I'm happy for your feedback after because I'm not used to summarizing or working from a book. But what does this mean? And and he says, why do we, why? He zooms in and saying, why is it humility that's the answer? Why isn't it temperance, like balance? Because everybody would say, you you know, you need to approach everything with balance, right? Moderation. Um, And for every single one of these, he brings a hundred verses that could have justified that position, right? And he goes, another person could have said, Um, instead of humility of wisdom being first, you could have said fear of God or almsgiving or faith. Um, And he says it's because none of these will work without humility of wisdom. He says because humility, being able to say and mean forgive me, um, is a sign um, of knowing that you're not better, that you're not greater and so he says because of that you're you're undoing the tools of the adversary um and i i in my mind this analogy works in my mind it might not work in yours um it's not an analogy i just want you to have in your head two people that are outwardly similar just to kind of imagine the the inner possible um difference okay So let's say there's two people, Jillian. Jillian is a Christian. Jillian is a secretary. Jillian gives her tithes. Jillian teaches Sunday school. um, And she appears to love God very much. She follows instructions. She never answers back to her boss. When her boss and clients start piling up and giving her billions of orders at a time, she chugs away cheerfully. and doesn't appear to mind and she keeps doing her thing and figures hey it's my job okay michael is also a christian michael is his own boss and he loves it um michael used to work for other people but got really tired of getting orders from other people and so he wanted to work for himself and ever since he started his own place people saw a huge difference in his character at work he's a very cheerful person his sunday school kids love him Abuna can always rely on him to lend a hand and charities know his numbers by heart. And anyone with a problem can talk to him. So I'm, I'm setting this up, not to say that Michael's bad, but I'm trying to set up two characters that I think, I think if I'm interpreting Dorotheos well, demonstrate the difference of what he means by it. Right. I was saying that both of these people are named, christians but one of them found peace when they were in charge right one of them found meaning contentment ability to function when they were the one calling the shots right um and i'm i'm zooming in because it's 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 words that we're not used to using in that way humility of wisdom um to kind of try and get at, at, at what he means so just have those kind of characters. Maybe in the back of of your of your mind, okay. But before we get into the, the substance of it, Dorotheus is saying that the devil is not just our enemy. He's adamant on saying we're not just talking about an enemy. We're talking about an adversary, okay? Um, an enemy is someone who just hates us, hates good, slanders us. But an adversary, he says, is somebody who actively hinders everything we do. Actively hinders every good deed. Um, And so he brings up some examples that I think are worthy of note where he says, when you pray, he opposes and hinders the praying person by means of evil remembrances. He captivates the mind or makes somebody despondent, right? And I think that's an important thing to pay attention to because I don't know that we all realize that sometimes when we're starting to pray, the reason why we're suddenly coming up with everything in the world other than prayer could actually be the enemy right where every time we come in it's like suddenly you remember your grocery list you remember that you wanted to do laundry that you haven't cared about for like three weeks um suddenly like you know what maybe i should reach out to so and so and you're ready to do all sorts of good deeds um anything other than the prayer um is what you're suddenly ready to do right and he's saying this is the adversary intentionally um opposing you or making you very despondent, making you suddenly, um, despondent doesn't always mean sad, despondent can often mean meh, um, that, that spirit of like, whatever. Um, and so he's like, even that is something that can come. Um, keep in mind, he's speaking to monks. So he's saying, you he might wanna keep vigil. Vigil, believe it or not, can be a very exciting thing. Um, it's like, it can be to um, a monastic, what a sleepover might be to a teenager (laughs) um where it's like okay slumber party um we're we're staying up with the lord um and and it can be very fun i I, I'll, i'll just take my word for it i think it's not just for monastics but um he's like let's say you had planned to do that he might fill you with laziness and carelessness of being like yeah whatever um let's just go to bed um if you plan plan to give alms, maybe you're excited about a charity or about giving or about service or something, and he says um, he'll he'll bring you to love the money um, or be stingy, um, which is very interesting, too, that he's saying to monks, right? Because monks of his day, they would work to have enough money to, to function, and whatever they had extra should have gone to the poor. So a natural warfare might be maybe I should hold on to this and then I can maybe pray more later because I don't have to work as much. Like you can justify it for a whole bunch of things, but he's saying that the adversary is not just being mean in his disposition. He's not just somebody who just just doesn't like you, right? He's actively doing things to stop you. Um, And so he's saying that those of us who are not good at working hard, right? He's saying, so some of us maybe suck at these ascetic practices Okay. But he's saying that the thing that might be able to save us might be our humility and that our humility might count the same way of somebody else's asceticism, which is a really big deal. Right. I saying that, you know, someone else was able to stay up all night fast, do vigil, give, do wonders, do read, memorize. Right. And he's saying, you know what, maybe you're not going to be able to do those things. Um, and he goes, and, and if you want something just as good, struggle for humility. Okay. So then he says, well, then what, what does humility look like in practice? Because Dorotheos is a very, very practical person. Um, Dorotheos says, if you want to know what it looks like when it's practiced, when it's good, when it's excelled at. Um, so don't be discouraged if you're not there yet. I'm, I'm definitely not there yet. Um, is he's saying humility doesn't get angry at anyone so I'm like first example I'm like I lost um, and not only does it not get angry at anybody, it doesn't anger anyone right um, it opposes vainglory right um, th- this thought of sense of self right of your own vanity of your own image of your own Look, as, a, as an aside, I wouldn't give Antonio. I can say his name now since he's opposing the Lord. One time I caught him muttering to himself and it shocked me. Um, we were walking somewhere and I don't know what provoked it. And he goes, Lord, save me from vainglory. Um, like, which I, I I just came to mind as I was reading it. I, I wasn't in my notes, but I, I wonder if it was his sense of self of I'm not good at many things. Like let me at least strive for humility. I don't know. Um, But humility opposes this vainglory. And he says people get angry over property and food, right? He's saying, because when I'm saying people that are humble don't get angry. I'm not just talking about conceptual anger because I'm saying like normal people get angry over like food and property, Um, I would add in 21st century, yes, we get angry over property and food, but I would expand the meaning of property that he's giving to monks where he's talking about whether they own a ruler or like a candle, um, because this is like fifth century, um, that we get very possessive over our opinions and our views and our political opinions and and all sorts of things. Um, And and we get very upset, <laughs> I think, um, about those, um, about those things. Uh, I lost where I was in my notes. Um, uh, and I was sorry, and I found it and, and getting our way. Um, I think that's a, a really big one is that we're not very humble about getting our way. We get very angry about not. And I would, I would suggest that sometimes we dress this up as, struggling for the ideal um which to touch to last week's talk is you're not the ideal i'm not the ideal right where 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 we'll sometimes dress it up as being like no no i just want this for the sake of rightness right like this is not about me i know it's very much about you and me and, and, and everybody um so but he says god rewards the humble so what he says is the sign of humility, not getting angry and, and, and not being vainglorious. He then pauses to say, but those are actually rewards. Like those are actually results of the pursuit of humility. It's very interesting because he almost like has a gotcha moment where he starts by saying a person who's humble doesn't have these two characteristics and then says, because actually not having those two characteristics is the reward of the pursuit of humility. So he says, so what does that look like? And this will seem so impractical and hopefully we can have a conversation about it. So I'm saying, I think the content is shorter in, in this one. Um, is He says, okay, a person who is humble if something bad, quote unquote, should happen to them will, Im- will immediately turn to himself and say, and judge himself, condemn himself, um, cast a verdict on himself and say, you know what, I deserve this right? Which 21st century person be like, but isn't that self-hatred? And isn't that like, so like lack of self-esteem? And we'll get to that. Um, but he'll say a person who, who casts a verdict, and he means this um, almost jurisprud- jurisprudentially, like in a, in, a, in a legal aspect of saying there's a prosecution, right? There's a defense and there's a judge. And he's saying in this case, hypothetically because we don't judge even ourselves as saint paul says but hypothetically of saying you know what i probably deserve this right um and doesn't put the blame on anyone else doesn't say what's up with that guy that horrible person what's up with her why did she do this probably this person is so messed up and thought this and this and and therefore she one two three four five this guy he's saying that humble person does not even go there right that humble person just says that's for me and doesn't lame any reproach or blame on anyone. And that person will be undisturbed, without sorrow, and completely calm. Um, I have only met like two or three people in my life <laughs> that look like this, um, like on a regular basis. I've seen people be humble in particular situations, but where this is their disposition, I can only think of two, that that's their, that's their state. Um, and they both reposed during COVID. Um, and he says that person won't get angry and that person is not angry, won't anger others. And so he says, start from this place. this self-condemnation and a person won't be angry. Said differently, like to reverse what Dorotheus is saying, start from the opposite side. What he's also saying is an angry person can't be a humble person. Or A humble person ought not to be angry. Right? And and the reason, if you want to understand the logic behind it, is that a humble person doesn't view himself or herself as having any rights over anything. And that's the reason why they won't be angry. Because even if you think of it as as a lawsuit, what are people suing over? Rights, property. And he said, a person in this disposition doesn't view themselves as having any rights. Right. And so that's why they're ready to lay them down right away because they don't view themselves as owning anything, whether it's opinion, right, property, anything that, that it is. Right. Um, that's, that's mind blowing. Like, but the reason why he can write about it as we'll see is that he's met people who are, who are like this. Right. Um, Said differently, um, I tend to use a different analogy personally for humility. This is supposed to be Dorotheus' gig. Um, I'm throwing in um, my my own um, because I think the two point at each other and might make it like maybe a little bit um, easier to see. Um, if I don't, if, if we take the analogy of, of health, right? True humility is to say, is to know who I am, it's self knowledge, okay, before God. So if I'm in the image and likeness of God, small i, I'm standing in front of the mirror and seeing capital I, I'm seeing God, okay, and I meant to be Him. So true humility is to be able to look at myself in front of that and see. What's different? It becomes an objective thing. It doesn't become an emotional thing, right? So I can stand in front of that mirror, right, and say, okay, um, it looks like I have um, a cut on on my left shoulder. And I know that because when I'm standing in front of the true image, capital I, I see that there's no cut on that shoulder. So I become aware that this thing that I have isn't what it's supposed to be. Right. And in the same token, it's the positive. It's not just the negative. Right. Because humility is not self-hatred of being like, oh, but this right arm looks exactly as it's meant to look. Right. That there isn't actually something wrong with this arm. I can also objectively see that. Right. And that to take it further, where Dorotheus is taking it beyond that of saying, yeah, yeah, can we get over that? Right, we already know that he's taking it already further into application and saying, now when I'm in a room and I happen to see other people, and I'm aware that I have my own wounds and I have my own gashes, I have my own weaknesses. I've dislocated shoulder. I've got like like arthritis in my right knee, whatever it is. Right, is that if somebody says, hey, you, you're ill, you'll be like, yeah, I am. Right? Like there's there's like you you start from the position of of your right. You're not concerned about who else is or isn't um diseased. And on top of it, if I view myself as diseased, I am not gonna be walking around trying to point at other people that are diseased. I'm not gonna be angry that other people are diseased. Do you see how it follows? Like it will it'll it'll change my whole mindset, right? And so I don't need to kid myself because I already know. This is, this is really tough, right? It's an easy concept. It's a simple concept. Living that concept is very, very difficult. And so he then takes us into two kinds of prides. And I've forgotten this. I didn't read this in a while. Um, and two kinds of humility, okay? He says, okay, there's two kinds of prides or two kinds of arrogances, Um, And I think these are so on point because these remind me of the forgive me that's followed by nothing that has anything to do with the humility that he's talking about, Um, where we are about to inject our opinion um, in humility, right? Where it says the first kind of pride is a person reproaching his neighbor, his brother. Okay. So this person judges and dishonors the other as being lesser or of no importance, and views himself as a superior by means of you, just to expand on what he's saying, okay? By means of you going up to somebody to give your opinion, is you viewing yourself in the position of superior automatically because you view yourself as being the one who needs to inject your your humble opinion um, that you feel that the world is lacking until you speak. Um, I'm using hyperbole on purpose. Um, And there will be a conversation, well, then do I ever speak? Okay, there's a speak that always ends up being a conversation. Um, The Desert Fathers would mostly just say shut up. Um, But (laughs) there is a time to speak. But he said that that first kind, where you judge and view the other as lesser and you come to reproach your brother, to rebuke or chastise your brother, when unchecked, he says, leads to the second and worst kind, which is to rise up against God himself. And he says, and we're going to come to a second because this seems like a gigantic leap, but he'll explain it in a second. This kind of person ascribes all of his labors and virtues to himself and not to God as though he did them, as though his own reason and efforts and not the help of God did anything. Okay, that might sound crazy, but we'll, 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 we'll jump into it in a second. But he gives an example to, to show this concept. He says that he knows a monk, and I love how Dorotheus is a storyteller. Um, he says he knows this monk who, whenever another monk would come and tell him something, he'd get really sarcastic, right, and be like, um, "Yeah, what do you mean by that, right?" And and almost belittle, being like, "Oh, you think you're like a good teacher, whatever." Um, and he would be like, "Thank you so much" with that kind of like attitude, but you know, you know who I listen to. You know who knows what he's talking about. that guy knows his stuff, right? Then. He decides that the only person listening to is not Zosima probably because Zosima and him are in disagreement. And so suddenly his tone becomes a set of, you know, who knows his stuff, it's that Zosima guy. It becomes Sivatmin Zosima forget Zosima right? The only one worth, worth listening to, and this is the example that, that Dorotheus gives us, is Saint Macarius. Macarius, he's the man, right? He's the guy um that we should uh listen to sorry have to meet that um and when macarius isn't good enough right then he goes you know who's really amazing you should read for him saints basil and gregory right then he keeps going back like he's left the realm of the living right because none of the ones living are smart enough for him he's gone to the greats that have proposed um and then um Nobody but Peter and Paul. So Dorotheus goes up to this guy, Dorotheus clearly doesn't have a problem talking to his buddy and goes, dude, soon you're not even gonna, you're gonna detest even these apostles and you're gonna only listen to the Holy Trinity with whatever you think the Trinity is saying. And actually Dorotheus says the guy did eventually resent God and went nuts. Now, this might seem like a totally extreme example, but it's not. Placing yourself as the source of truth, as the measuring stick of how this guy, I mean, how did this guy decide whether the seem Basil, Gregory, Macarius, anybody was worth listening to? Himself. Right? Whether or not these people agreed with how he feels, thinks, talks, speaks. Right? That's the measure. That's the basis on which he says who to listen to. Right? And so you will inevitably... If you place yourself as a standard, even if you haven't realized that it's what you're doing, you will inevitably be against God when you worship yourself. Right? Think about it in a more moderate way. How many of you have ever said, even in your head, the Bible says, but, and anything that follows the but. You've, you've already established yourself as the source over scripture. Right away, right? How many of you have ever paused to say, I I know God says X, but, right? Like I remember, especially during um, some of the situations where there was like attacks on churches and Christians and stuff like that, people would be like, I know the Bible says turn the other cheek, comma, however, comma, right? And what follows that however is really telling. Right. If it's a question of whether you know how to interpret it, there might be a humility there still. But if it's, I say, this is a situation where that doesn't work. There's a lack of humility of thought there. Um, um, how many of you are upset and defensive, and in and, and you I include myself, if someone mentions something that you did or said wasn't appropriate? Right. If somebody comes in being like, "Hey, I think you might have like overreacted there," if your internal reaction is not joy at hearing that, <laughs> then you haven't achieved humility of thought, right? Because it means that you you saw yourself as above reproach on some level, right? We might all get better at getting to it faster, um, but all of us usually. Tend to and we'll all have our ways of being quickly like no i hear you i accept that i'm just wondering if maybe you understand what i meant and we still want on some level to give something which which is when we fall short but it's fine um not not fine i'm saying we're we're there um but he says these so in, in Dorotheus's teaching these are a sign of the first kind of pride right these are a sign that that's that that's where you're at um and then it's funny because he, talk, he calls the first kind of pride worldly pride. Um, and he talks about where monastics are guilty of worldly pride. And he says, okay, he describes what he calls worldly pride. He says, worldly pride is a person becoming bigged up before others that somebody's richer or better looking or that they wear fancier clothes. And I was smiling when I read this, and I'm like, this is still the case. People still care about their bling in different ways. People still care about their, their social status and their followers and their car and their Prada or whatever, like, like whatever the brand names are. It was Tommy and my day, I don't think anybody cares anymore. Um, but um, it's funny that even in fifth century that that was a thing, and that in the 21st, we're still doing that. But he says that a monk might be doing the same thing as worldly vanity and pride when, they, when monks take pride in their monastery and their reputations and how many monks they have and how many novices are enrolled. Um, and he's just like, which was interesting to see, again, how practical he was in his own day. Um, but he says there's other examples. And a person is vainglorious because they have a good voice. And he goes, and a person might even become vainglorious about his modesty. About working well or efficiency in service. Um, he's saying it's a different way of showing pride, but it's still pride, right? It's still viewing me as the thing. Monastic pride, he says, is something that is more akin to what we call the right hand of wars, um, of being arrogant or prideful or vainglorious about your fasting, or your vigils about living well, right? So this might be the showing off how religious you've become, right? How many liturgies you've started to attend, how many services you're in. Um, if you started outreaching, how responsive people are to you. Um, it's it's that kind of vanity where it's it looks like a good, but it's, it's not. Um, and it's so important to note that a person can become outwardly humble for the sake of glory right outwardly pretending to be humble when they are not right this is like the kind like of oh please don't say that when somebody says that was a great talk or like your your article or whatever you did being like oh no don't don't say that it's all the lord's work um and being like you know like i just no 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 right and and you might give all of the right ways of showing humility right so that they're like did you guys see him look, look at that humility right and internally like scored um nailed that humility um and he's saying all of those whatever the outside looks like the inside is 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 what it is um so to review lack of humility makes you see yourself as authority this might be man- manifested outwardly as taking others less seriously and may escalate, right? Practically, sin creeps in little by little, right? This is a way of seeing it, right? Something that you may find ridiculous one day might be a natural thing to you tomorrow. That's another application of this, right? There are sins that I never thought that I, I that I would end up doing that I did. Because it's almost like once you accept one um because in another chapter he'll talk about how every sin on some level is pride um because it's a choosing of of self first regardless of right um but that if i've elevated myself to say this thing is okay to do when it's not it's almost like everything becomes up for grabs and we don't see it that way and that's why this is why i think this is so earlier in the book right of saying Learn very quickly how to say no. That's why that first lesson last week was say no, say no, say no, say no, say no. Say no no even when it's not a big deal. Say no when it's just, I want to know who wrote this. Say no when it's just like, what's that noise coming from? Say no when it's just like, I just want to see if anybody messaged me. Right? Practice saying no so that it becomes easier to put yourself um, last. So he says, if there are two kinds of prides, there are also two kinds of humilities. Okay, What are the two kinds of humilities? He says the first kind is respecting another person's intelligence more than my own. Seeing somebody else as being more excellent in every way than me. And the consequence of that, saying the consequence, because remember that he said that these come as gifts, the consequence of viewing others view as more than myself is that i will inevitably see myself as lower than others that's the minute change in understanding between self-hatred and seeing myself lower than others because one is actively saying i am bad another is saying in seeing others as better than me i inevitably placed myself last it's not that i think i'm a filthy disgusting scumbag who is 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 intrinsically bad it's that in, in elevating others i've automatically lowered me right I've, I've 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 forced it um it's there's this game this is so cheesy um there's this game that i love called caesar 3 it's a geek game um it's like set in ancient rome it's the only game in my life i've ever been addicted to um and you have to set up this city um, with food, um, water, like uh, uh, labor, manufacturing, entertainment, academic, education, religion. You have to have make sure all the people's needs are there, right? And you have X number of laborers, right? And so you have to keep this on balance. Anyways, the reason where I'm going with this before I get really excited about the game um, is that if you don't have enough laborers, you have to allocate your priorities, and there's only ten. There's ten categories, right? So in putting one last and putting others more, the last is just last because it is. So if you put up because of the circumstances, hydro or or, or education or religious needs or water needs or whatever it is to run the city, you've forced a prioritization. It's not necessarily about how you emotionally feel about those. I'm trying to say that in putting others above me, I just end up last, right? It's, 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 not, it's not just about emotion, right? It, it can just be how, how, it, how it is. Um, the second kind of humility is when I start to ascribe my labors towards God, right? Of seeing it as God's work, Okay. So, and we'll get to that in a second. So he gives, he gives two an, analogies or two stories. The analogy gives is a tree. He's saying, what does this look like? Why would something that's lowly be considered good? He's saying that if you have a tree, that has a lot of fruit on it. What does the fruit do to the branches? It lowers it. It bends it. It brings it lower to the ground. He's saying humility is like that right? That a soul is like the tree. And as it brings forth more fruit, it becomes more lowly. It sees itself as less, right? It's not high up. It's lowly. It's a natural result um, of of bringing forth fruit. The other example he gives is a nobleman. And he says that, he said there's this guy that they met and he was a well-known citizen and a noble in his city. And so he was, um, Confused by this concept. And so he was asked by one of the monks, okay, if you go back to your city, you, this nobleman, you just come from this small town. How do you view yourself? He goes, I'm one of the greats. I'm a noble in my town. Right? He goes, cool. Now imagine if you move to a bigger town like Caesarea. Right? If you move to a bigger city and you're in the nobleman's there, he'd be like, I would be a lower ranking noble. He goes, right. Now imagine if you went to Constantinople, the capital of the empire at the time, right, where Caesar himself lives. How would you see him, How would you see yourself? He goes, before Caesar, I'm a beggar. Right? So he's like, so this is what it's like. The more that a Christian approaches God, the more they view themselves as lowly. Right? Um, an analogy that I remember somebody giving me like a couple of decades ago, I don't even remember who anymore was that this like, the more you approach light, the more of your imperfections become seen, right? If you're sitting in the dark, you barely see yourself. You turn on the light, you see more. You get closer and closer and closer to the light, the more self-knowledge you become aware of, right? And so you become even more aware of, I am not, to bring it back to the AP analogy at the beginning, um, and I'm saying that just to differentiate from his because they intersect, is to say... I'm not health I'm not capital I I'm trying to be but I can't more aware that I'm not health itself I'm not the source of health humility number two right and in fact I have many um, infections cuts bruises what have you um, that's the first kind right So then he tells a story um, to say, you know, humility isn't something you learn by words and instructions alone. And this is why I love Dorotheus's honesty, practicality, just down-to-earthness um, and humor. Um, and often he's the butt of his own jokes. Um, but he's like, no, you can't learn humility. Just by saying this, you don't learn humility. And he gave an example of somebody who is humble to show that. And he goes, you know, um, one, one time there's this know-it-all, um, this sophist. Um, who heard this famous Ibn Zosima that he referenced earlier, who is still alive at his time, teaching about humility. And he's saying all this stuff about humility and how you shouldn't see yourself as great and all this stuff. And you, you'd you view yourself as sinful. Um, and so this guy comes up to Abunazosima and he's like, you seriously think you're sinful? Like that's how you view yourself? Don't you know that you're holy? Don't you know that you have virtue? You fulfill the commandments, so how can you consider yourself sinful when you act so well? You know that you act well, and it's funny because Dorotheus is telling the story to make a point about how it's not just words that teach us. He goes, "This poor Abunazosima started stuttering and didn't know how to answer. Like he was like he just literally looked dumb, like he just doesn't know how to answer. Because I, I don't, I I don't know what to, I, I don't know what to tell you." I, I don't I don't think I, I I think I'm I think I'm sinful, um and so the know it all keeps insisting, being like, how can this be? Tell me, tell me how you're sinful. He's interrogating the poor guy, um and the poor when is the just goes, please don't don't upset me. Like I I don't know what to tell you. I can only tell you I just I think I'm a sinner. That's all I know, right? And so. Seeing that the elders perplexed and not knowing how to reply, um, Abderathaeus steps in and says, "Can can I speak?" Um, and so he says he says to the, the sophist, um, "Dude, don't you think this is what happens both in sophistry, which is a philosophy, and medicine? When somebody studies an art very well and practices it, right? Then according to the measure of his practice, the physician or sophist." Acquires a certain habit, but he cannot say and does not know how to explain how he became experienced. Right? He's saying that a person, as they develop their skill or their trade, whatever their professional at, they just keep doing it. They can't point at a magical moment where they suddenly could be called experienced. Right? It's something that just happens. And so he says it's like that with the soul that is practicing humility gradually and imperceptibly it becomes humble and that he says that the practice of getting humility is fulfilling the commandments right it's by bending the will to holiness it's by pursuing health by choosing health in every single act a person this is is, is what he's trying to explain becomes more and more humble because they don't view themselves as the source of health. They don't view themselves as a source of knowledge. What does the gospel say? The gospel says, put everybody else before you. And so I don't view myself as greater than my neighbor. Right. That's to unpack what Dorotheus is saying. That if I, if I use that, I'm inevitably going to be humble and I won't know that I'm humble because I'm not, Reflecting on me, I'm not meditating on me. I'm not looking at how I think. I'm not thinking about how I, I I I I I is, right? I'm looking at him, capital him, capital I for image, right? But none of it is me. Health is not me, right? Health is who I'm supposed to be, but I'll be constantly aware that I'm not. I'm not it yet. Right. And so this will always change my disposition. Right. And it says that Abuna Zosima, when he heard him give his explanation, gave him a hug and goes, Thank you. You get me. Um, um, he's like, It's it's like that. It's what that guy said. Even there, he wasn't like, I understand, I explain. He's like, points at another as, as the source of rightness. Um, and, and it's funny because Dorotheos almost. I, 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 I'm, in, I'm interpreting. I don't know if this is what he really thought. I sometimes wonder if it's him using himself as a wrong example to give peace to the person that he's teaching. Because he goes, having heard these words, the sophist was satisfied and agreed, right? Almost to be like, yeah, I, I showed him. Almost to be like, don't worry, I'm not humble yet too. I don't know. Um, in the same way that sometimes Macarius would view himself as guilty of a sin to help the person in front of him feel in his own skin but i digress so he goes on to say nobody can explain the humility of the soul itself nobody can explain what it what it, it, it is exactly that's why we're using analogies right um nobody can articulate the words perfectly he goes the soul learns this by living okay so in the pursuit of health essentially One experiences health more, okay? Um, And that's why he's like, like, it sounds counterintuitive, but that's the only way to do it, right? The only way to do it is to live. And so he says a step towards this divine work is bodily labor. That sounds bizarre, but this is explaining asceticism. Physical work, when we consider ourselves beneath others, is the other way. Physical work and thinking ourselves beneath others. The ways are described, but not the what, is what he's saying. The what is humility. What it, it is exactly is hard to explain. But the way to it is this labor, cognitive and physical. Right? And he says the second kind, the one against God, is to pray without ceasing. Because the one that's praying without ceasing, the soul that sees itself as praying without ceasing sees itself as unable to be greater than God because it needs God to fight against unhealth, against sin, right? That person, I'm going to explain this in a second because this is very deep and shouldn't be glossed over. That person knows why they are praying. And so that person knows that the power is not one's own. That person consequently ascribes all success to God. Always give thanks. Always calls upon him. And prayer becomes a source of humility. Pause. What am I saying? Think about this in very simple language. If I go ask somebody for help, what does that mean? In asking someone for help, it means I'm in the position of need, i'm in the position of lower i need the position that's higher to give right whether it's knowledge whether it's an act it's saying i am unable or i am, i i clearly am not the one with strength i think that is so deep like 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 i i don't think i'd ever in my meditations have them across that right it shows you what this like meditation and 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 time alone can 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 give insight, how it can give insight. Right. If such a minor small thing can mean so much, of saying the act of asking is already an act of humility. It's saying I'm in the position of lower, not higher. And he's saying that's why a person who's always praying is a person who will inevitably become more and more humble because they're always viewing themselves as in need, always viewing themselves as a recipient of grace. And the person who views him or herself as a recipient of grace, and this is why he said it it defends you against the second of pride, will always say, it's only God's grace. See how it becomes authentic, right? That's why he's saying you have to experience this, right? I'm getting excited talking about it because this was so confusing to me, right? Because I'm just like, I know the right words, Right, I'm so bad. I'm a sinner, blah, blah, blah. Where it's like, whatever. And he's like, no, no, no. You have to experience that. Because a person who's calling on help will say, no, no, no. But it really was help. I asked for help. I received help. Therefore, I know. I don't theorize. I know that this was because of help. I know that this was because of grace. It's a matter now of experience, not theory. It's real. And that's why that elder, that abunazosim, was like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like, how do I explain the obvious? How do I explain to you the obvious that I asked for help and I got help and you're trying to make it about me doing it. When I'm telling you, I didn't do it. I got help. Right. Said differently as being like, you're saying good for you. You worked so hard. You saved all this money. Let's call God's grace money. Right. You worked so hard and you got this money and that's why you got this beautiful house. And he's like, no, but I didn't. I was given money. And, and, and this person's like, no, you weren't given money. Right? It wasn't that you were given money. It was that you worked. Can't you see it? We saw you. You worked. And he's like, no, like I-, I asked for money and I got it. That's that's all that happened. Right. That's why that Abuna was like, I-, I don't know, I don't know what to tell you. Right? It was, it was, it was authentic. Right. Um, and so by understanding that, that person will never view themselves. Bigger than rich dad. Forgive me for the analogy; it just works. Um, and at the same time, won't view themselves as greater than his neighbor, because he's like, "I'm just somebody who received." Right? It becomes it becomes real. Um, so, but why do bodily labors help? This is something that I think when you watch those saint movies and you read the Desert Fathers it becomes weird, right? Um, and, he, and, and Dorotheos addresses it head-on. He goes, what relation do bodily labors have with the disposition of the soul? He says that after transgressing the commandments, um, and he's quoting St. Gregory, which is another cool thing how well-read Dorotheus is, but anyway, he says that after transgressing the commandments, the soul was given over to a deception of the love of pleasure and self-will And came to love the body. It became, as it were, united or one with the body. And everything became flesh as is written. My spirit will not remain among these men for they are flesh. The poor soul then sympathizes with the body and everything which is done with the body. Let me unpack that for a second. Okay. The soul was made healthy. Healthy. Okay, now think about it as let's say you were originally healthy and somebody introduced you to fast food. You didn't used to eat fast food, right? And your soul, your will, your desire didn't think about fast food, nor did your body. But when your body ate fast food, Your spirit, your mood, if you will, with it, not that spirit and mood are the same thing as as an analogy. It's like, I like this. Right? And then your mood towards food, your disposition towards food changed. And now wants that. Right? Your whole person, body, soul, and spirit, what I'm trying to get at, and what Dorotheus is trying to get at, participates in your will. And your spirit participates with your body. They're not separate. We're not Gnostics. Right? And so he's saying that a way of exercising each component of your whole person is that just like my body participates in action, so does my body participate in fixing. It's not just my spirit. And so that's why he's saying there's a role for the body in asceticism in doing this right? Our soul became a base and for, got used to pleasures, but since it functions as one of the body, it also needs to be trained with the body to be fixed on God again and not looking for pure pleasure, right? And especially wrong pleasure. Right? And so are saying, so the, the whole self needs to. And that's why he says, the elder said that bodily labor also brings the soul to humility, also helps bring the soul to health. By putting ourselves low, right, we oppose demons and the first kind of pride. By saying, "Let me physically even remind myself that I'm lower," and it, it mind blows me because that spirit is still in the Desert Fathers today. I was talking to um, a, a beloved uh, father that's still alive in the monastery of Saint Anthony in Egypt, um, who has um, MS, and I've seen him for the last. 22 years or so progress from standing upright and being fully functional um, to being in a wheelchair and and, and and going through what he's going through. So whenever I'm dealing with my own like disease issues, I like to talk to him because I'm like, this guy is going to be real. Um, and I also feel like the biggest complainer in the world when I, when I see him and I was talking to him because I have a lot of, of food restrictions and stuff like that. And I told him Abuna and physical restrictions, I'm like, I can't do a lot of the ascetic works that, like, almost everybody I know does, even non-monastics. And he, and I'm saying this to point out Abuna's virtue, um, and that he thinks in this very way. Um, And I was just like, like, I I can't do some of these standards that people have. Um, Especially things that i would instruct people who confess with me to do and so when it looked at me and said do you feel lower than others as a result of being unable and i was like yes i do and he goes good then you've done the aesthetic work right like that this was and i'm, I'm pointing it out at the depth of his spirit to identify that so naturally right is that he understood that, the, that what the, these ascetic works are doing is lowering the person to, to help them resist against pride. It's not because God is like, way to go. You did 20 spiritual push-ups, right? Like, like the, the goal is not the push-up, right? It's what the push-up does. It's the strength that one acquires from it. It's not an, an, an act in and of itself. Um, so when the body is humbled, the soul is humbled with it. And then he gives a really cool analogy. We're almost done, and I'm sorry for talking so much. Um, I thought this was going to be shorter, so my bad. He gives another really cool analogy. He says, think of a sick person. A sick person's disposition, right? A sick person is physically ill. We're we're thinking of body. He's trying to teach about spirit. A sick person or a hungry person behaves differently, he says, than somebody riding on a horse, which was like a, 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 almost like a status thing at his time. Um, think of it as somebody riding in a limo today. Or sitting on a throne. They, they will feel and act differently. He's trying to show that something physical has a very outward, like has, a, has an expression of the soul and the spirit right a person in a sick bed is not the same disposition as someone sitting on a throne right imagine if you're brought in in a vip line right or that you're at a graduation your mood is different than if you're in a sick bed right and so he's trying to just really drive home that physical and spiritual physical disposition definitely do go together I think that's another astute observation. Um, and he goes, this is why we, we prescribe physical labors. Um, or, uh, that's not what he would actually, um, but this is why we ascribe prescribe physical labors to bring somebody into humility. Okay? It also teaches that I'm not greater than anything, that I can't just have my way. By practicing, for example, not eating, saying we're going to abstain to whatever hour. I say that I have to bend my will, my mind, and my understanding, body, soul, and spirit, to something greater. Right? Um, That's where he ends. But I I want to just lead your thoughts from this. Um, I'll give a story of my own that I witnessed that. I think is an example of a, a way that this could have been practiced, this, that I could practice on this chapter, unfortunately from the negative. I saw a monk once um, at a monastery whose father of confession was a great saint that reposed. He wouldn't give us who reposed. Okay. Um, and you would think, okay, my, my Abba is this saint that everybody knows is a saint. Right. And, 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 and he's a saint who can read thoughts, have the gift of being spirit born right like like that should make anybody live on edge of being like i can't get anything like he's he's gonna know what's happening right but this monk started behaving he lived in a monastery he was not out serving okay started participating in ways that are anti-monastic he started getting involved in particular people's marriage problems and coming in with the verdicts of you guys should separate you guys should get together you guys should not. when one couple was breaking up their engagement in Egypt, there's a whole process with it because there's a shebka, there's a dowry. And then there's this discussion about how are we going to bring back the money and how are we splitting this um, and all this stuff. He started getting into like the nitty gritty of how that money should be and who is entitled to what and what proportions the Bishop got called in of that diocese being like, what is going on? Right. And he was like that horrible Bishop who doesn't know anything Right and it, like this is all. I'm just saying this is the how it starts with the first kind of pride. And escalates, it just gets out of hand, and all of this is from his cell in the monastery. And then, because this is what tripped me out, this monk by the way is extremely saintly today. So this is not just to, to calm out. Every single one of us has a bad story. This monk was in training to be a hermit. Right, and he was like, "Hey, come with me, and let's go pray at the cave." And I'm like, "I don't want to go with you." Um, and the whole way to the Hermitage is phone calls, which seem like the biggest oxymoron um, from all these people that he's dealing with, right? As we're going to spend nights out in the desert, um, to have. Um, I shouldn't say this part in case it reaches to Egypt because you could get in trouble for it, it Has his sin stop, um, to do something that there was not permission from the abbot to do out in the desert, right? But it's it be turned into, and the reason I'm using this as an example, the second kind of pride that he's talking about where the, like the first one had a worldly, um, it started with a worldly, what he called pride, and then turned into a monastic one because it looked holy, Right, I'm solving problems. What's the world gonna do? I'm trying to bring the gospel to all. Do I get anything? I don't take money. I don't ever, like like this justification starts to come in. Right? But his disposition, disposition of the spirit, of the soul, of the mind, all of it, is definitely above um, the norm, right? It was pride. It was pure pride dressed up in all this ways right that he it was the opposition of humility he was opposed to everyone even in his father of confession right so i hope that this lays the groundwork the theory that this should make you question about when ought i to speak right when should i or not give advice how likely am i to get in a fight with somebody over some concepts how jealous do I get? These are all questions that would be indicators of the state of my humility. Right? These are are, are, our way they are. May God grant us all the spirit of that humility that I don't have. um, To the glory of his name. Um, Glory be to God forever. Amen. Any um, uh, questions, comments, I'll um, I know there's some in the chat room that I'll find, um, but if there's any Uh, that want to raise their hand by all means go for it too Um, i'll start with one of them here until uh, if a hand goes up um would these um issues be resolved if we just never talked about ourselves is a solution to never talk about how we think we're sinful so that no one can go you know you're not is it better to not just talk about the self um, actually some monastics would say yes. Um, like there are many that would be like, no, never, ever, ever talk about yourself. And that's why even some, some would even teach and, and many do this, um, where instead of talking about themselves, even if it's about themselves, they'll talk about the story as though it's someone else, but where they have a story of someone else, actually that does a the trick, they'd start with that. And they're trying to do two things. One, to A, not talk about themselves, but B, to protect themselves from even the thought of their own of, um, like, I didn't talk about myself, right? Because it's so easy to then get in the pride of that, of being like, good job, I didn't talk about me. Um, and that's why, like, the spiritual guidance is good, because, because that's why he, he talked about, I can be humble for the sake of vanity, Right, being like, I'm not going to tell the story about me so that I'm humble. This is actually a great example of that. When it's actually internally, I'm like, because I'm humble, right? Like, I could have told the story about me, but I didn't. Good on me, right? Um, and that's why you can get lost in a, in a loop of thoughts, right? Um, others, I like, I tend to prefer, like, the, the be yourself, don't sin, so you don't feel over too much thought about it. Um, and to tend more towards, um, I'll talk about myself usually, hopefully when it's a bad example. Um, but I would also contort, forgive me. I know this is a long-winded answer. If I view the source of grace, the source of money as God, I can conceivably tell a story that involves myself and not be pride, prideful about it. Because I'm, I'm not, I genuinely don't think I'm showing off me, I'm showing off dad, right? Of being like, no, I love this big house because dad gave it to me in, the, in this figurative thing, right? And look at the big house that dad made, the big house that dad wants for us. If, I, if I'm able to view it as that, it will be so sincere. It really won't be pride. It will actually be about dad or about health. Isn't health amazing? I'm so excited that I don't pant when I go up the stairs. How did I get healthy? By following the rules of health. Right? Not because I'm so good, I'm so healthy. It was I did what health prescribes that resulted in my health, and I love health. Right? That there is a way of of it not being prideful. Um. In the process of waiting for his grace, for this gift of humility, is there a way to manage anger separately from humility? Can you delve more into physical labors? Yeah, I would say that whenever you're angry, whenever you're angry or you have any negative emotion, what is the only thing that could possibly make you unhappy? It must be not getting your way right otherwise there's something wrong with you right nobody gets upset when what 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 when reality matches desire right people only get upset when those two are incongruent so whatever is the source of my unrest even if it's a fleeting moment is where my pride is elevated right? It's me saying my way, right? So let's say, it, and it can be so small. It could be as small as like, I wanted to eat now and now I have to do this. So when somebody said, hey, are you available? And I was immediately upset. It was, I elevated my will, right? So I say, start off by 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 zooming in on those, right? To say, that would be where I need to work on, of, of where my will needs um, massaging or exercise, right? Because you might start to notice a trend where I'm completely fine, except for this kind of scenario, right? And then I'd be like, "Oh, okay." So it turns out that I just I have a knee jerk response. Cool, right? It could be could be a bunch of things, um, and that's where also the the trainers are coming. I hope that that does. But the physical labor um, would match whatever the diagnosis is coming from that right um like abstinence i think is an underused tool today i think i think like fasting has fallen out of style where it's become like almost like a joke um to ask if people are fasting wednesday and friday um but the physical act of fasting is huge right? Because it deals with mood. I get very hangry personally, right? It does affect mood, right? Um, It does affect your ability to just be allowed to do what you want on impulse, even with your body, right? Where maybe you were ready to reach for your normal snack and suddenly that snack isn't allowed, right? By saying, I'm going to abstain till meselen, like for example, one hour past when I'm normally hungry right is my way of forcing myself to deal with those emotions and those feelings right of, of of doing it that's just an example right um or if i'm so angry at somebody and i do i do prostrations, right when i wear up my body into exhaustion if i were to do that right is to say like Who am I? Like, I? like, I just say one of the things, like he said, I, I don't know how to explain, right? This participation of like, why have I exalted myself above my neighbor that I think this? Now I'm finally weak. I recognize that I'm weak, right? I'm, I'm really butchering it. But it is saying that the physical labors depend on the spiritual diagnosis, but they can do a lot. And I think a starting point for a lot of people could be to look at their fasting habits. Um, because I think it can do a lot of things all at all at once Um, and it's funny because it's like no I won't go on that tangent I was going to get into how like everybody suddenly during Lent care about their gym body and be like well you know I just kind of need protein um, when I go to the gym and so like I just don't know that I could do that Um, where I was like okay right like what you put in is what you get out but I I digress. Can you please reiterate the two types of pride in order? Okay, let me go up to them. Um, Pride number one um, is reproaching my neighbor or elevating myself above my neighbor. Viewing myself as superior in any way, which means getting my way over my my neighbor. Pride number two is when this elevates to be up against God himself. Um, I would argue, even though it's not what Dorotheus wrote explicitly here, but he is writing implicitly, that that second part is manifested in whenever I choose my thought or will over gospel. Um, uh, did you know that anger is rarely a primary emotion? Actually, I did not know that. Um, it's usually a reaction to something. I'm hurt. Um, And instead of facing that, I get angry, which makes perfect sense. When you're saying anger is opposite of humility. um, If we're getting angry because we think we deserve X, Y, or Z, or have pride or whatnot. Exactly. Um, And that's why, like, um, for me, in people's confessions or in guidance sessions, I often ask them, especially when they're trying to figure out what to talk about and what to repent about or what to get guidance about. Even though everyone knows me as the anti-emotion guy, When it comes to confession and guidance, I actually think those are very important things. Um, They're not important to be governed by, but they're important things to bring up because they're indicators of your values. Because if I get really worked up about something, it says what I value or don't value, what I prefer or don't prefer. Um, And so those become actually monumentally important um, in the discussion um, to the point of, of what this person wrote. I agree completely. Um, How do we view ourselves as lower than others without it being degrading to ourselves? That's a great um, and extremely important question, I think, in this topic. What if someone is a victim of sexual abuse and are typically viewing themselves as the worst sinner for that reason? Yes, and I'm glad that you asked that because this is where I actually think this concept that we just talked about is why a lot of people when they talk spiritually tend to get into that realm and it becomes this view of like, all my sins, I'm so bad. But that's something, there's a fine distinction between truth and and fake self-hatred, right? It's the difference between saying, I am sick, humility, then saying, I am bad, Right, than saying I'm, I'm a bad person because I am sick. That's different, right? It's a difference between saying I'm disgusting because I have an illness, right? And saying I am ill, right? Even if the cause of my illness is my own choice or because of others, right? It doesn't matter the source of the illness because what is my identity My identity is the image and likeness of God. My identity is a child of God. So the source of my dignity, as a matter of fact, to even be more explicit, self-hatred, the wrong kind of self-hatred, is actually a pride. It's, It's the opposite extreme of vanity, but in the other way. Because the source of my dignity is my sonship or my daughtership to God. So if I say, no, I am this blah, 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 the wrong kind of self-hatred, I'm actually going against God who's made me his kid and saying, it doesn't matter who you are and how you view me and that this is what I am. I am saying what I'm actually is this. don't think everybody views it that way, but it's actually a vanity to view it that way, right? Um, It said in another way, imagine if like let me explain and i've used this before so forgive me if it's repeat for some of you when we read the agbeya and you see i might even have used this example last week but forgive me i'm gonna use it again right where it's just like behold i'm about to stand for the fright the judge judge for i'm disgusting and I am filthy and i'm a woman no man right or when every Tarnima we hear, every spiritual song, and and I'm not calling out these Tarnim as though they're wrong, but when all we listen to is, there's a monk who gets it into my head on purpose because he knows it annoys me. Um, I'm dirt, remember, oh, my soul. Um, Don't you forget, don't you forget. um, Don't ever forget your dirt. Right? And so when this is our chorus all the time, <laughs> right? <laughs> it becomes like, apparently I'm filth and I'm never supposed to forget. Um, God forgive that monk that's going to be in my, my head for at least a month now. But um, think of it as you're married and you cheat on your spouse. And you are so overcome with grief That you cheated on your spouse. And you go to your spouse and say, woe is me, woe betides me, I did this, please forgive me. And your spouse forgives you. But you feel wrong still about it. And so you keep going to your spouse saying, I don't deserve you. I'm so bad. I'm the one who did this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and this. Right. So there can be an expression of grief and sadness from that place that that can be a thing. To live in that is not a thing. But for the sake of this question. If, if your spouse says, but I don't view you in that way and you say, no, you must view me in this way. The spouse has to say, well, who do you think you are? Actually, you don't get to decide how I view you. Right, that's not how the spouse is talking, but I'm trying to emphasize that it is actually a form of vanity to still insist on how the spouse ought to be seeing you. Right, and so if you feel remorse, that's its own thing, and then you can have a spiritual discussion about whether your remorse has gone into the realm of the wrong self hatred or not, because that would be a sign of, of spiritual illness in and of itself, right, um, and whether you're contrite enough, because you might actually be like, well, whatever. Who cares? That's also a sign of arrogance um, in another way, right? So it needs to be brought into balance. I, I hope that I didn't confuse that even um, more. Um, uh, do, do, do. How do you not fall into the trap of thinking yourself as better than the other, even if you ascribe your talents um, or gifts to God? Um, It's really, genuinely, in seeing that anything true is from the designer, right? None of us invented anything. All of us are implementers of truth. None of us are the source. We are not itself the truth. And so I would say by practicing the gospel in every small thing, I'll get there. Because if I say, wait a minute, it doesn't matter what I think. Is there a truth about this that I should be doing? I've trained my mind into always thinking truth first. As he said, it's the practices that become the norm. It inevitably happens, right? So if I start thinking like, hey, is it right to do this? Or am I being gluttonous? Like even in something that small, right? Should I give my opinion or am I actually trying to show off Why did I say that? Or why am I about to speak? Is it because I want to show that I know? Or is it because I'm really concerned? By always deferring to some higher truth than myself, than my opinion, than my mood, than my will, than my desire, I will naturally not be ascribing the challenge to myself. As he said, it's when you don't think about, right? It just becomes obvious, right? Because what's the consequence of living in a healthy way? Health. Right. So like, like that's its own consequence. So I will naturally just be like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. It's like when I finally ate healthy, I lost weight. That's, that's all that happened, Right. Okay. But what diet did you use? I use a diet that is governed by the rules of macronutrients. That's what happened when the fat and the proteins and the carbs and the energy in was less than energy out happened. It resulted in net weight loss, right? I mean, we don't speak like that, but that's what actually happened. It wasn't that what happened was, yeah, I like, here's the thing about carbs. When I designed carbs, you didn't design carbs. You didn't design metabolism. You didn't design any of that. You just followed rules that exist, right? So can you be joyful at the fruits of health? Of course right? Like, like God invited the workers in the vineyard to the meal, right? He told them you can eat from the fruits of this tree. There's nothing wrong with being joyful and happy in it. The, 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 the goal is not to be miserable. It's just to, to, to always bring it back to, to truth. Um, uh, this is somebody, oh, this is cool. Uh, two people wrote about the same thing. What I learned about anger is that anger is not a primary emotion this is cool because i i this is news to me um uh, when i'm angry it's usually because there's an actual primary emotion of hurt sadness wait that this is what i read earlier sorry my bad i thought this was someone else writing the same thing as someone else so my bad um uh can you elaborate on the verse that states um be angry but do not sin Because it seems that the verse implies that anger itself is not a sin, but rather it is what people do in response to feeling angry that that is the sin. If they curse at someone or hit somebody. Okay, Um, that psalm, um, because I I haven't, I I, I would want to read more to the point of your question. When I read about the context of that psalm, I'm not sure that that psalm means it the way that we use it, but I think it's still related. Um, the context of that psalm is that the, the, the Jews are in a famine and things are going really poorly for them, but others are not. And so the people are really upset that their enemies are living a good life and things are going well and not for them. And that's why what it seems like the psalmist is saying is he's saying you have reason to be worked up. You have cause to be bothered but don't do anything wrong with that and it's actually why it goes from there in to say um i will rejoice more in god even when their my enemies corn and their wine increase right where he's saying still place your comfort and truth in god um and so in this context of the discussion i think what's being said is Socially, you may have cause to believe that something is owed to you, right? But the reality is that it's not, right? And so, don't do anything wrong. Look at God also as, as, as the source. Um. Why does it? Why does it not matter the source of where dignity comes from? I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying the source of dignity offer, uh, matters immensely. Um, I'm saying that it is actually the most important thing, that that the source of dignity being from God is my protection from pride, of the good kind and the bad kind, of the self-hate and the vanity, I was saying what makes me matter, is the is is my identity as the son or daughter of God. And that that belongs to me, no matter how healthy I am or how unhealthy I am. That that is that is a constant. Um, so it matters um absolutely Um, i think that was it unless i missed something if i missed something um from facebook because i'm not there if someone can paste it would be great and if i've missed somebody's question in the chat please uh repaste it um because i was trying to filter through some personal messages in it so i may have missed one because apparently i missed last week a couple I did reiterate the two types of pride in order, because um, somebody put that. Okay, uh, word. Thank you, homies. Um, oh wait, hold on. Is it safe to just practice not being proud and deal with humility, humility later? Is it re- is it reasonable to just focus on one and hope the other come result? Um, absolutely. Um, actually, that's that's actually what Dorotheo said at the beginning of saying that in so doing, by just practicing it, those gifts of humility that he said, of not viewing myself as greater than my my brother and not not having vainglory, um, not even getting angry, he goes, those will be the natural consequence. Um, It will just um, happen. I'm glad that you brought that back up because I did want to come back to that. Um, And the other part that I did want to come back to is that I hope that you guys can see now why he said that the humble person who's truly become humble will be able to say, forgive me. It's because that person will be like naturally thinking something's wrong for me to think myself a source of teaching. Something's wrong if I view myself as above in any way. But that person will mean it. Um, And so I, I think it might be good for us to practice that. Um, um, where sometimes it's good for the tongue to teach the heart. So it might be good for us to start saying, forgive me. It used to piss me off. I'm not going to lie. People said it. Where i like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forgive me and it's followed by whatever. Um, <clears throat> but maybe it's not a bad idea to do. Um, and then if somebody says, why are you saying forgive me? It would be, well, I'm working on feeling like who am I? But I'm not there yet. Um, And apparently the question about the two types of pride the person didn't hear, so my bad. Uh, The two types of pride, um, the first one, um, I'm just trying to get it verbatim, uh, is when a person reproaches um, his brother, rebukes, corrects, judges, or dishonors their neighbor. The second kind of pride is to rise up against god himself um, which is to say that my will or my way or myself be above god's way or god's self all right thanks guys um so there will be next week and the week after the week after will be holy week if this is interesting we can continue after holy week um if not um we can move on but i think the desert fathers are great for the discussions um, and feel free to be more immersive, guys. Like I, I suck at this, so like don't be awkward about raising hands even in the middle. Um, like it doesn't need to always be at the end. All right, um, <laughs> forgive me, but please continue. All right, let us end with prayer. Um, and shout out, my mom is is saying hi. Hi, mama. That's the shout out for her, so that I can act uh, humbly to my 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 parents because I don't practice it with my parents all the time. Does that work for you, Mom? I'm like being humbly, humble publicly and falling to the second kind of pride where I'm proud of myself for being humble publicly. All right, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one of God amen. Lord, make us ready to pray with all thanksgiving. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not temptation, but let's move one in Christ, Jesus our Lord. For thine is the kingdom, the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Love of God, the Father, grace and the God and Son, the kingdom gift of with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all.